Welcome back to the Murdy Creative Co. Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle and Murdy, and today's topic is cryptocurrency. Now what? But first, I want to say thank you to everyone who supported the company so far. If you haven't got a chance, go check us out on the web at murdycreative.co. That's M-U-R-D-Y creative.co. Or you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram by searching at murdycreative.co to see the best of our product shots. Follow us, keep up to date with our daily photos, and be the first one to know about new product launches. You can also use the subscribe button at the bottom of our website to be included in all of our new product announcements. Be sure to check out our laser engraving, personalization options, and exclusive colors on the website, or you can blank one on Amazon Prime. All right, so I'm going to do my best. Today's going to be a bit of a long one, and there's a reason because I'm going to be going a little bit into the weeds on a kind of a theoretical topic, but it's going to make sense. Um, so I'm going to do something a little different this time around. I'm going to kind of get to the point right away, and then I'm going to go deeper into the weeds. Uh, but first, something I haven't done in a long time, which is corrections from my mother. The part of the show where I clarify statements my mother thought were confusing or misleading. So, um, my mother, as some of you may know, is an avid listener of my podcast. Hi, mom. Love you. Uh, and she sometimes sends me things that she thinks uh, I should mention. So first from my mother, dad was going to a Lutheran church when I met him. It was his choice to be Lutheran, not my influence. All right. That was good. Um, so I just wanted to make that correction. Sorry for anyone who may have been confused or concerned by that. Um, so cryptocurrency, now what? Many of you know that one of the big reasons why we made the initial foray into switching to Shopify, why we originally looked into it was because Wix wasn't really going to be able to take cryptocurrency, and I wanted to take cryptocurrency, specifically PIVX, or PIV. PIVX is the name of the coin, PIV is the coin itself. It gets weird, but, um, so one of the things that we've done now is we've set up the website, it's good to go. We can take cryptocurrency payments on like everything. Um, we, that may not always be the case. Currently, we accept, I don't know, 170 coins or something like that. It's this exorbitant list of coins that we accept. Um, eventually, I will probably start to cull that down if there are certain coins that I feel are not as stable or are not a good store of value. The current processor we're using to process those payments is a company called coinpayments.net. They supply a lot of great coin options, and we as a company have the ability to convert those coins automatically either into a different coin, like think stable coins, or we can convert it directly into a fiat currency like US dollars and things like that. So I may or may not limit the coins. I may just set it up so that certain coins that I think are not good stores of value will automatically change out to a a different cryptocurrency or to a fiat. that may or may not happen there. So now that we accept these cryptocurrencies, I just got to get the word out there that we can take them and we got to work on convincing people to use them. And you may say to yourself, well, why, Colin, would you as a business owner want to encourage people to uh, pay with cryptocurrency? And the answer is because then I don't have to pay the credit card companies 3%. That's right. If you didn't know this, this may not be something you know. Every time you swipe a credit card, your, the company you're swiping at has to pay the credit card companies usually about 3% after it's all said and done. It's something like 2.4% or 1.9% or whatever, plus 30 cents on top of that, which often, depending on how much you're buying, can increase it just a little bit to be 3%, right? Now, that's a lot of money when you add up everything in the big picture. 3% of our annual rent earnings is a lot of money. And in some cases, it can be a lot more if it's international currency transactions, right? If someone's using, for example, PayPal on our website and they are in a different country and they're converting uh, euros to dollars to buy our stuff, we pay PayPal an exorbitant fee for those transactions. So if you use a cryptocurrency, 
you pay the fees of that cryptocurrency. Now, in our case, um, because we're using coin payments, uh, we pay 0.5% on any coin. That's our transactional costs. Now, that's high for some and low for others, right? There's, you know, but for us, I like the fact that I can just kind of bank on that being the case. So as a, as a current situation, as our current situation states, um, we definitely want to encourage people to, to use cryptocurrency. I also think it's a better store of value, but that's where we go to the, into the weeds. Um, so now we take cryptocurrency, we got to convince people to use it and we take a bunch of cryptocurrencies. So I think it's frankly a, just a matter of getting people to know about it and interested in it. And you know, that's, that's tricky because there's a lot of pieces about cryptocurrency and a lot of the people who have all the money to spend don't trust cryptocurrency. And there's an interesting kind of story about that. So that's the short version. I'm going to go into the weeds now. I had a friend, family member actually, who is a friend, I should say, um, contact me and ask me to explain cryptocurrencies to him. He's a little bit of the older generation. He's over 50. Um, but he's a smart guy, good guy. And I like talking with him. And I could tell when he was asking the question that he really wanted to understand this because he understood that it was a topic that was coming up more and more frequently. And I think it will continue to come up more and more frequently. Cryptocurrency is a bit of a complicated topic. It's also not, but it is. And I, and I can go into a little more details. I'm going to try to make this interesting for those of you who know everything about cryptocurrency as best I can. And I'm going to try to make this interesting for those of you and understandable for those of you who have no idea what cryptocurrency functionally is. But to do that, I got to go back a little bit further into theory. The theory is money. Money is a concept we all just take for granted. We don't think about it. It's not part of our, I mean, we think about money, but we don't think about what money is or how it works fundamentally. And that's a great thing, right? It's nice to not have to worry about things like that, to just take those baseline things and just assume that they're going to work. But we need to understand what money is and what its purpose is. Money has been around since the dawn of humanity. It's something that's been, it, it takes on many forms, whether it's coins or rocks or shells or paper or whatever, it takes on many forms. Functionally speaking, money is just a store of value. You give up your time, you give up your possessions, you give up something, and you get that value back in a store of some kind. Now, historically speaking, money's taken on a lot of forms. You may wonder why, and why do some forms, like coins and paper and things like that, why do they last where others don't? Think like chickens. Um, and it's actually a relatively straightforward point. You have to go kind of from the most apocalyptic, primitive version to where we are now, and you can kind of see the evolution. In a primitive, apocalyptic scenario, you want the store of value to have a tangible use beyond the store of value. For example, the barter system. If I'm going to trade you something for your, your value, for your time, I might trade you chickens or bread or something like that, something that you can consume and use right? Because it, it has value for its use. Not necessarily it has value because it's just valuable. It has value because of its use, right? Um, another good example is like coffee beans, right? And I use those for, I'll, I'll come back to the coffee bean example in a second, but coffee beans are arguably a, a, actually a really good store of value. They're stable, particularly when they're like, we're talking roasted coffee beans, right? They're stable. They are small and lightweight. Uh, you can carry a lot of them and you can they're, they're not going to require additional things like if you're trading chickens, they require to be fed, right? Like things like that. So they're actually a relatively good stand-in for what a primitive money might look like. 
The problem with a currency or a store of value that has inherent use is that you then have to balance its actual use when you're looking at transactions. And I'll give you an example of that. When you are looking to go buy lunch as a person right now in the modern world, you think to yourself, okay, do I want McDonald's or do I want KFC or do I want, you know, Panera or whatever? And you, and you, you think about what you could buy for lunch at those different places, right? You get a burger or a pizza. I'm just going to, for the simplicity of this example, I'm just going to leave it to those two. You can either get a burger or a pizza, right? Now, the currency in that equation, considering that if you think of those two things as having the same cost, right? You can spend $2 on a burger or you're getting a $2 slice of pizza, right? Just for this example. The money in that equation actually is irrelevant to the decision, right? The, the usefulness of the money beyond its $2 value, right? It's, it's not part of the equation. It's either the, the burger or the pizza. But if the currency itself actually has an alternative use value, you have to include that in the analysis, right? You have to say, okay, do I want to spend the 100 coffee beans on a burger? Do I want to spend the 100 coffee beans on a pizza? Or do I want to spend the 100 coffee beans on a cup of coffee? So you see how the equation starts to change when the currency itself has value. You have to take into the, the, the currency's inherent use into the equation. And it makes it more complicated. And for the purposes of day-to-day -day life, making things less complicated is better. So, and, and also, there's another problem with, uh, with currency being consumable like coffee beans. It becomes very difficult to store value. It becomes very difficult to analyze it. It becomes very difficult to manipulate it, which can be a good and bad thing because you actually have no idea how much is out there. You have no idea how, much, how many coffee beans are out there. You have no idea how many are being created or how many are, be, are being consumed at any given time. It has an, a use as a thing. So it, it becomes difficult because what you really want in your currency is stability. And people don't talk about this because it's not very fashionable or very vogue, but the thing that you really want is stability of a currency. You want that when you go to work for somebody and they pay you $15, that that $15 is going to hold its value and it's going to be as valuable in 10 years as it is today. Now, a lot of economists have talked about how a little bit of inflation every year is a good thing, right? That looks like growth. The answer is, I mean, maybe, but I don't actually agree with that interpretation necessarily. And I'm sure there will be people in the comments that will fight me on this. But I actually think that, obviously, deflation can be bad, right? When your currency, when, when people aren't able to buy goods, right? Deflation can be bad. And inflation can be bad, right? If, if there's too many goods uh, chasing too few dollars, that's deflation, right? Prices go down. And if you have too many dollars chasing too few goods, the prices go up. That's inflation, right? I actually think that Right in the middle with nothing is, is the better version of the two, but people will disagree with me on that. I frankly think the Fed thinks that 2% uh, inflation is a good number because they like to make 2% inflation and that's easy for them, right? There's, when you talk about the Federal Reserve controlling monetary policy, um, you need to realize that they're a private company-ish, sort of, and it gets more complicated because they actually are kind of, they have a vested interest in, making themselves look like they're doing a good thing, even if they're not. So that gets complicated. So we're not going to go into that too much because that's way too far into the weeds. Moral of the story. You want your store of value to maintain its value, right? And you want that store of value to not necessarily change. And that's where a consumable money, while valuable in an apocalyptic scenario, 
isn't really good for a day-to-day peaceful, prosperous economy like the one we have today. Now, we've shifted over into money, right? Physical, tangible dollars. And the advantage of dollars is obvious in many ways in that you can carry a lot of value in a very small, very lightweight way, which means that an individual, let's think of 100 years ago, an individual could carry with them a large sum of value that they could then transact widely in a variety of accepted ways without having to, you know, carry a lot of other things, right? Now, the government before used to be on what was called the gold standard, which frankly is a brilliant solution to the problem that you're about to see come. And one of the biggest issues with currency, particularly hard physical, non-usable or non-alternative usable currency, right? Like dollars, you can't consume them in any way other than using them to buy things, right? The problem with a currency like that is it needs to be rare. If anybody can print the currency, it no longer is attainable only through hard work. It's only, it becomes attainable through just printing it, right? Printing money is a bad solution because it means the money just continuously inflates. And we'll go more into that in a second. So you want the the value, the currency value to remain stable and you don't want it to be, uh, you don't want the the, uh, amount of currency to change wildly because it, it warps the value of the currency because the way you get it is no longer X number of work or X number of investments or whatever. The way you get it is just printing more of it, which is kind of cheating. And we'll go into that more in a second. So the gold standard basically said that the dollar bill that you had in your hands, you could walk into a bank or to the reserves or other things along those lines, and you could actually exchange that dollar for a specific amount of gold. Well, that's a really good point. That's a really good thing because what it does is it pegs the currency to something physical and it's really hard to just, I mean, you can mine more gold, but it's limited. There's a limited amount of mining you can do. There's a limited amount of gold you can make, right? So the ability to introduce more currency into the environment is very much limited by the gold standard. Well, that's not good if you're a politician because you want to just give money to people and if you have to limit the amount of money that you can just give out, by putting it on the gold standard, then you have to actually take it from other people to give it to away, right? If, if the money, if you can't just print more money, the only way to get more money is to take it from other people through taxation, and then you can give it to other people. But people don't like it when you take their money. So instead, it's much easier to say, we're going to go off the gold standard and we're just going to print more because then everyone's upset, but no one's really upset. So we went off the gold standard, and that's where the dollars come around. 2008, uh, a, I, I want to say a person, but there's no evidence that this is a single individual. In fact, there's some good evidence to say that this is a group of people writing under a single pen name, Satoshi Nakamoto, and I'm potentially saying that wrong, and I absolutely will assent to that, uh, published a white paper about the concept of a cryptocurrency, right? And Bitcoin kind of came out of that, and all of the other cryptocurrencies have kind of come out of that as well in their own way. And realistically, that paper went back to the concept of, well, what is money? Money is just a store of value. Now, the reason why we think the dollar has value is because the U.S. government says it has value, and we as a society have said, yeah, we'll go with that. But that doesn't necessarily mean it is true, right? It's not backed in anything physical, and it's not backed in anything tangible. And the problem that we're facing now, and this is also, it's interesting that it came out in 2008. I don't think it's a coincidence. Inflation 
is about to get wildly out of hand. And there's about 100 things, 1,000 things, 10,000 things that are affecting inflation. Like, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of factors, but one of the factors, and this has been true under the previous administration and the current administration and administrations in the past. So this isn't like a one side of the aisle problem. And it's the idea that it's very attractive if you're in charge to just print more money and give it to people. That's an easy thing to get people on your side. But what those people that you're giving the money to don't realize is that by doing that, they are, and by accepting it and you by printing it, are making the value of that dollar less and less and less and less. Because it wasn't created through the genuine value it produced. It was created through a printing press, right? Now, why has this become an issue? So cryptocurrency, to describe it in a short version, Functionally, the, the key aspect of money is that it, it has to be limited and it can't be spent more than once, right? If I've got a dollar in my hand and I give it to that person, I can't spend that dollar twice. That's one aspect of it, is that the limited nature of it gives it value. Because if I had unlimited dollars, it wouldn't hold any value. So one aspect of that is you need to create a technique, a tool that limits people to spending the currency only once at a time, right? The Bitcoin, the Satoshi, only once at a time. So you need to create a way that there are ledgers, right? You need to create a way for me to have a wallet and you to have a wallet. And if I give you money, it goes into your wallet and it comes out of my wallet and I can't spoof my wallet to have more money. I can't just invent more money in my wallet. That's where the blockchain comes into effect and the cryptocurrency. Now. As I was explaining to this individual who I'm a big fan of, and, and uh, he was struggling a little bit because, and I realized why. He's used to having dollars in his pocket. Seriously, he's used to having physical dollar bills in his wallet. And he's used to paying for things with those physical dollar bills. So in his mind, currency is still physical. Dollars are still physical. And I realized that why the millennial generation in many ways is getting better at accepting cryptocurrency, and people like Gen Z are very good at accepting cryptocurrency as a, as a, as a tool, is because we don't use physical dollars very much at all anymore. Genuinely. I, don't, I, I can't remember. I think the last time I had an actual dollar in my pocket was probably 10 months ago. Maybe longer. I don't carry physical cash with me, ever. If I need to buy something, I'll either use my credit card or my debit card or I will Venmo someone or I'll pay with it with PayPal or I'll use my phone and my Apple Pay and I'll pay with Apple. I I never deal with physical money anymore. Even if I have to give money to my friends, I don't give them physical money. If they buy lunch for me and I'm paying them back, I'll send them money via Venmo or PayPal or Cash App or Zelle or any of the millions of options out there that allow me to instantly transfer that money from my banking account to theirs without ever having to see physical money. So I'm used to, and many of my friends and many in this generation are used to never experiencing physical money, not using it pretty much ever. Well, you can see why it would be easier for us then to accept Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies as a valid form of transaction because it's just as real to us as dollars are, meaning it's not physically real at all. It's all virtual. Now, why that matters is because with people inherently in the older generation don't trust the idea that they couldn't put money under their mattress, right? Physical dollars under their mattress. The lie, though, is that if you put that money under your mattress, someday you'll be able to use it in an emergency to buy something. And the answer is, if they inflate the currency to high heaven, you won't, right? If you put $100 under your mattress today thinking that, you know what, that'll buy me a couple of meals, maybe a bus ticket or an airplane ticket if it's really cheap, um, 
you know, and I can get somewhere. I could buy a couple of tanks of gas if I needed to, depending on what car you drive, right? With $100, that's what I could do. In 10 years, I doubt you'll be able to buy a burger with that. And at the rate of inflation, at the way that they're inflating the currency, the way they're printing the currency, it's going to be crazy if you can do that, right? So the idea that that physical store of value is in somehow um, is a good safety mechanism is actually a lie that the government is continuing to try to tell you because they don't want you to pay attention to the fact that inflation, particularly at the rate that they're doing it by printing money, is horrible for everybody across the board. It's, it steals money out of everybody's bank account by making the value of that dollar less, right? It also is a way that they're going to deal with, that's the only way that they can get out of this stupid debt. The government has been spending at absurd rates, huge, huge deficit spending, which means that the U.S. debt is trillions and trillions and trillions, tens of trillions of dollars. Well, the only way so that they can get out of that debt, other than some very serious austerity measures for a long time that's never going to happen, would require them to make it so that $27 trillion is what it costs to buy a burger, right? That's how they're going to fix that. Now, it's a terrible plan, and it goes horribly every time it happens, but that's the best they've got. So the thing about Bitcoin, though, and the reason why cryptocurrencies in general function so much better and why they're so attractive to our generation and to the generations after us is that the way new currency is created, the way new Bitcoins get made, mined, you know, created, is limited and specific and unchangeable without, they're not unchangeable, but it's basically unchangeable. It would require over half of the community that is using Bitcoin to agree to the change. And at this point, the size of it makes that very unlikely. So now you're looking at something where the currency itself isn't something where the president can just say, let's just print more money. You can't do that. The currency because of the way it's built, because of the way it functions, can't really be artificially inflated through some arbitrary means. It grows at a specific and predictable rate at a certain rate of time, and there's no way to really alter that. Now, there are a lot of different coins out there, and all of the different coins have their own method of doing that, right? I've talked about PIVX in the past, how it uses um, a proof-of-stake and reward system to do it. Uh, and, and, for example, um, Bitcoin, there is an actual limit to the number of Bitcoins that will ever be mined. 21 trillion. No, 21 million, sorry. 21 million Bitcoins are the only number. There will never be more than 21 million Bitcoins, except for if some miracle happened and they were able to get everyone to agree to change it, but that's never going to happen. Whereas, which, which is why I actually think that Bitcoin is not necessarily a good transactional medium. There's a lot of other reasons, but that's not a good one. Something like PIVX, which is there's only going to be a certain number of coins made every year, and that's a limited number, and that does not change, right? That's the kind of thing that makes more sense to me for a transactional medium is something that does grow and has the ability to grow, but at a specific and predictable rate. These are all tools and part of this, but the point of cryptocurrency, the reason why it is so attractive is a couple of reasons. One, it meets all of the parameters of what money is supposed to be. It is transactable. Eventually, it will become widely accepted, right? That's the natural course of this. It has low transaction fees, right? Which is a big part of this. It is uh, secure. It is something that does not necessarily have... Um, it's hard to steal, I should say. It's hard to, it's hard to tr transact it without approval and permission. And 
I think the most critical, important piece of it is it's not controlled by a central authority. There's no government that's printing more Bitcoin. It's the currency itself. It's the code. It's the, it's the, the lines of code in the currency that generate more Bitcoin. And it can't really be changed. Unless, obviously, like I said, over half of the people agree and there's millions and millions and millions and millions of people that use this. So that's unlikely. Moral of the story. I do think that cryptocurrency will be the wave of the future because my generation doesn't even think of money as a physical thing anymore at all anyway. I mean, we do a little bit, but not really. And obviously the news isn't helping anybody by putting up an animation of a gold coin with a B stamped on it and saying Bitcoin today. No, 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 that's not Bitcoin. There's no such thing as a Bitcoin. A Bitcoin is not a physical thing that you can hand to someone. It's numbers on a phone or numbers in a computer. And you may say to yourself, well, that's not money. Well, what do you think your bank is? What do you think a credit card is? It's just numbers on a computer, right? And you may say to yourself, well, I could go get physical dollars. Yeah, but you can't really. The banks limit how much money you could pull out in a single day. And even if you did pull all that money out, it wouldn't be very valuable in 10 years. So realistically, what are we trading for cryptocurrency? Like what is the, what's the trade-off? Cryptocurrency, the trade-off is this. There's no physical aspect to it, right? So you give up that physical nature of it. But what you get in exchange is a currency that isn't able to be artificially inflated by the government. Well, that's a trade I think most people are going to be willing to make. Because it's way better from an investment standpoint to invest in something that is unlikely to artificially inflate and something that is still functionally usable and at the same time doesn't really require you to give anything up that you wouldn't already be giving up. Because nobody makes million dollar deals in cash unless you're a drug dealer. And even then, most people don't do it then. So this is where I think we will see cryptocurrency change the world, change the future. It's going to happen, right? And there's a lot of people that are saying, well, how do, like a lot of governments are like, well, how do we stop this, right? Because obviously it ruins their monopoly on making money, which is kind of a weird, ironic twist to it. But you may say, they may say, how are we going to stop this? And there's a lot of governments out there that are trying to stop it. There's a lot of people out there who don't like it. There's a lot of big name, big players, famous people who are against it. They're not going to win. They're not going to win. The same way that VHS tapes couldn't win against DVD players. And the same way that dollars couldn't lose to, I don't know, gold bars, right? It's technological advances. And you may say to yourself, well, why didn't cryptocurrency come out before? We didn't have the technology to do it. It requires everyone to have a smartphone, basically. It requires everyone to have a computer. It requires everyone to have a digital method of creating and, and transacting things, right? It couldn't have happened before now. But now that it's happened and now that it's been created, there's no putting the genie back in the bottle. Even if governments outlaw it, it's not going to change anything. There will still be people that will use it. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to be using it. And there's a lot of people that are going to be using it quietly and privately behind the government's back. Because when it comes down to it, it's so much better. It is so much better. Particularly when you've got all of these major governments and organizations that are all using these crazy inflationary and printing of money policies that are just hurting their own citizens. People are going to look for an alternative. And that's why houses, if you're talking about just one example, why houses are absurdly priced right now, why they're so expensive. Because there's a lot of companies out there that can get debt cheap. They can go borrow a bunch of money for very, very low cost. And then they can take that US dollars that they just borrowed and they can go buy a house, which will likely float and rise in value with inflation, where the dollars won't. 
So a lot of big corporations taking out loans for cheap, they're buying a whole bunch of houses so that they've got something that when the government decides to print $100 billion more or $100 trillion more in physical dollars and suddenly the dollars aren't worth anything, the houses will still be worth something. And that's the plan. And that's why they're doing it. And cryptocurrency will change the world. It will. It has to. There's no way it's not going to. And it already has. And the train is moving. It is not going to stop. So now it's time to get on if you're interested. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in today. I know this was a long one. I apologize, but I wanted to go a little more into the weeds on this particular topic, and I know that this one's a little bit trickier. So if you liked the longer format, let me know, and I'll do more long format stuff. It's a bit of a problem to come up with sometimes, but there's a lot of theory that goes into decision-making that I'm happy to talk into in more detail. So be sure, to, be sure to check back in Thursday for our next topic, and don't forget to check that subscribe button below. Be sure to get the latest podcast right away, as well as the notification bell, so you get notified when we make new stuff. If you have any questions or concerns about your leather binder, journal folio, accessory, anything we make, uh, feel free to reach out to us on the main page of our website at meridiacreative.co or you can contact us via email and text um, or direct message on Facebook and Instagram, all the usuals. You can, I'll do my best to get back to you as soon as possible, but we do appreciate your patience. If you need to give us a phone call, you can give us a phone call at 414-434-9001. Uh, we're available Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time. Uh, that's 414-434-9001, and you can call or text that number if you've got any questions. If you think we deserve it, a good review can go a long way to help us grow a new community, both a review on the podcast app, whatever you're listening on, as well as a review on the product. If you want to go to murdycreative.co slash reviews, you can read all of our amazing uh, reviews there. You can also click a button there that'll take you to facebook.com slash murdycreative.co slash reviews. Uh, there's a big button there that says, do you recommend the Murdy Creative Company? You click yes, and you can write your wonderful review there. It does help us because it's nice to have a third party so that you guys know we're not just making them up. However, if you would leave us a bad review for any reason, there's another button there that gets you directly in contact with us. Please, please, please give us an opportunity to make it right. It's really important to me that everyone has a good experience uh, with the company and that everyone is very happy with their product and we will do anything we can. With that. If it's in our power to fix it, we will uh, and we really want to take care of you. So please, before you write a bad review, give us an opportunity to make things right. Um... Uh, word of mouth, best form of way to grow any community. So tell your friends about the company, tell your friends about the podcast. Uh, if you want to get a little something for doing that, go click at the top of our website. There's a little uh, person there. You click login or you can click on the rewards tab in the bottom left-hand corner and log in directly from there. Once you're logged in, you get 5% back on any purchase you make on in-store as in-store credit. And there's a shareable link there. If you share that with your friends and family and they make a purchase, they get $5 off their first purchase and you get $5 of in-store credit when they do so. So that's a great way to share the company. Uh, if you have any podcast topics you want to hear more about, send them my way. I am always happy to talk about pretty much anything you guys want to talk about. So, you know, definitely leave the comments below if you're watching on YouTube or send us an email, sales, S-A-L-E-S, at murdycreative.co if you want to hear something specific. If you're looking for multiple binders, journals, photos, anything we sell, uh, gifts, giveaways, reason, menus, really any reason, ask about our book discounts available. Uh, if you want, the book discounts are now built directly into the website. So if you're uh, just, you just want to take care of it yourself and you don't want to ask, feel free to just put all of the number that you want in your cart and the bulk discount will automatically be applied. Uh, minimum uh, order quantity for bulk discount is five and that's either five of one thing or one of five things. Uh, so you can just mix and match. It's just based off the total cart quantity. And uh, yeah, you can just add as many as you want and however many you add, the system will adjust and give you the appropriate bulk discount. If however, you are curious and you want to know more about what the discounts are specifically and you're trying to figure out what the right number to order is because you're a company or whatever, uh, you can send us an email, salas at murraycreative.co. Additionally, if you want to get a custom engraving, we have no minimum order quantities and no setup fees. It is a simple, flat fee, normally $15. You can go up a little bit, sometimes $25, if it's really, really large or it covers the whole cover or whatever. Um, 
but for the most part, it's normally $15, as, and, and we could just make just one of them. So if you want just one with your company logo on it, we can make that. If you want a whole bunch, though, the $15 engraving fee per book is actually pre-discount. So if you, put, you want to buy a whole bunch of them with the engraving, it can actually be a lot less than that $15 per book. So if you're interested in that, reach out to us, uh, sales at murdycreative.co, or there's a button on the top of our website. If you go to specialty and you, there's a first one there, custom slash bulk orders, they've got more details there about um, lead times and what we need and all of those other good things. So check that out if you're interested. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Have a great day and goodbye.